right, super good. Good, good, good to see you guys this morning. Dr. Vern, you are a sight for sore eyes. It is great to have you back with us in person. Oh, so kids, uh, you guys are dismissed. So elementary kids, uh, preschool through fifth grade, you guys are headed out with Monsieur Ed and Ms. Gary. Have a fun time. Uh, middle school and high school, you guys are out of here as well with Pastor Chris. He's going to rescue you from the sanctuary. And uh, what a blessing. Thank you so much, Zeke, for doing our scripture reading today. That was a blessing. So it's not Family Worship Sunday today, but we wanted to have Zeke do a reading because uh, I think starting next week, he and his dad, Jeremy, and his mom, Carmina, are headed out from our church once again as missionaries to Texas. So we're taking the gospel from California into Texas where they really need to hear the word. But we trust that God's going to use them in great ways out there. They've been here and a part of our fellowship for a couple of years now, I think. And I don't know how Zeke does it, but he sits here in the sanctuary every week, week after week after week, and he's so super quiet. Anyway, we're going to miss them. Thank you guys for being here, and thank you, Zeke, for that great reading. One other quick note before we get started today. Of course, in the next couple weeks, um, it's voting time. And you guys know I'm not super political, and I'm going to tell you, first of all, vote. But more importantly than that, I will just give you a quick encouragement to vote biblically. So, you know, as citizens of this different kingdom that we've been talking about, you know, this kingdom of God that we've been translated into, as citizens of the kingdom, we need to vote for kingdom principles and kingdom values. Um, so take your time, do your research, look at the candidates, look at the different propositions, and really evaluate them biblically. There are, of course, you know, voter guides that are out there nonpartisan voter guides, there are Christian voter guides. Um, you know, we're not gonna hand one out necessarily. I will say Pacific Justice Institute, which is a, um, a, a group that we've used, they're based here in Sacramento. Uh, on their website, they have some great voters guides that are available that really help, I think one in particular, really helps just go through all of the different propositions, really from a biblical standpoint, and that's what we wanna do. We wanna be that voice for the scriptures and for the kingdom as we vote. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I'm excited about today's text. It is a, an important one. Uh, I believe I've really been enjoying this study as we've been going through, not at uh, a rocket pace, I will admit, but uh, through the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be uh, finishing up in chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at verses 40 through the end of the chapter, verse 45. So if you don't have a Bible, you should have a Bible, and we'd love to get you a Bible to use today and to bring home with you. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and uh, Rick will bring one to you wherever you are. He'll even show you where we're going to be this morning, Gospel of Mark. It's toward the end. Um, anyway, let's pray, and just let's ask the Lord to really bless this time and bless his word uh, this morning. So we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we thank you so much, Father, just for this place that you have provided, Lord, and for this, uh, this weekly opportunity that you have prescribed, Lord, for us to be here and to be together as your family, Lord. And we, we thank you for the things that you're doing here in our midst. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come and to meet together and to study 
the scriptures, Lord, and we pray as we do each and every time we go to your word, Lord, we pray that your spirit and your spirit alone would be our teacher, that the teaching ministry of the spirit would be manifest here this morning and that you would give us uh, as your people, Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each of us, um, Lord, corporately as a church body and, and, and individually, Lord, personally for each one of us. And so we thank you, Lord. We just commit this time to you. We pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, and we're continuing this morning, like I said, through what is supposed to be this fast-moving account by John Mark of the life of Jesus. And you, you might remember when we left off last time, we left off in kind of what I thought was sort of a precarious place. We remember Mark was declaring right here in this first chapter of his gospel, right here at the very beginning of the public ministry of Jesus, Mark was really declaring to us the authority of Jesus, right? The authority of Jesus over everyone and over everything. And he was doing it, you remember, by just simply detailing for us what was just really the first full day of ministry there up in the Galilee. You know, in Capernaum, in fact, right there, that city on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And you remember just quickly, we'd watched as Jesus demonstrated his authority through the word of God, right? Teaching that day in the synagogue as no one had ever heard anyone teach the word of God, just with that authority that only Jesus could have. Right? And then his authority over spiritual darkness as he confronted and then he exorcised that unclean spirit from that man there in the fellowship. And Jesus did it with a single word. And then immediately there was that demonstration of his authority over physical illness. Right, The healing of Peter's mother-in-law from that deadly high fever that she had. And then we watched as the entire town, right, as the Sabbath day ended and the, the sun set and the whole town of Capernaum came out and they brought the diseased and they brought the demon possessed for Jesus to touch and to heal. And it went long into the night, right, as we saw that tireless mercy and that compassion that Jesus had. And then we finished... Mark kind of included for us this kind of a revelation, if you will, of what it was that was the heavenly source of the strength and the power of Jesus. And that was we saw Jesus rising so early the next morning, right? Well before the daylight, it said, just for that time of prayer and of intimacy with the Father. And it was during that time that he received this divine direction to set out and to really walk away from, to leave this great revival, if you will, that was sort of happening there in Capernaum, and to go and preach in what we would call the hick towns, right, of the surrounding region. And what we said as we finished last time, that it was during this time on this tour that we would see in what would be our text for today Yet another powerful example, actually I think the most powerful example of this incredible, this amazing authority that Jesus has and that only Jesus has, right? This authority that he has over by far what is the most pressing problem, right? The most plaguing problem that we face, right? So it's, it's Jesus' authority over our most 
plaguing problem. And as we see that, I believe we're going to see something that's even better than that, something that's even more of an encouragement for us than that. And so let's jump right in. We're going to see that as we start out here now, picking up in verse 40. So this is as Jesus is traveling kind of on this first preaching and teaching tour in the Galilee. It says in verse 40, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, before we get too much further, before we get any further, we need to stop and really notice, you know, just two very simple words that we see there right at the beginning of this verse. And those two words are a leper. And we need to take a moment because there is so much that is bound up in those two words. There is so much more than we could ever really know because most of us who sit here in this room will spend the entirety of our lives without actually ever seeing a leper, right? Much less seeing one as a common everyday sight. For most of us, the closest that we'll ever get to a leper is watching Ben-Hur, right, on a, on a rainy afternoon when there's just nothing else to watch, right? But in the ancient world, these two words, a leper, this would have produced an immediate and a very powerful impact upon anyone who was reading this particular passage. It would have produced nothing less than this kind of a 3D full-blown image in their minds, right? It would have immediately produced within their hearts also just a tremendous and a deep sense of a sorrow for this leper. And yet then mixed in there with that sorrow, it would have produced just as powerfully, probably even more powerfully, a tremendous fear because leprosy was one of the most feared, if not the most feared disease of the ancient world, right? It was a terrible and it was a terminal illness. So today we call it Hansen's disease, named after the man who just about 100 years ago actually discovered the bacteria that produces leprosy. It's only been in the last 60 or 70 years that we've even developed any kind of a treatment for this disease. And it's this multi-drug series of these strong antibiotics all used over the course of just uh, multi-years just to try to rid the body of this bacteria in order to just stay the progression of this disease. And yet there's no cure for the damage that the leprosy has already caused. Now, the, the effect that, that this leprosy would have produced upon a person in the ancient world, it would have started certainly with these physical effects. And given now what we know about leprosy, we could almost put this man's history together. Probably from the day he first discovered that he had contracted leprosy, right up until this day now when we see him kneeling before the Lord Jesus. Because there's a very natural progression to this horrible disease. This man probably for a series of days, maybe weeks and then months, would have started to feel tired, right? For no particular reason that he could understand. Then his, his joints would start to ache 
and become very painful. And then one day he would have noticed these little white sores that were starting to appear and to break out probably uh, on his back, most likely noticed by his wife to her horror. These white spots wouldn't just go away as little spots normally do, but they would start to then turn pink. Ultimately, they would turn dark brown. And his skin started to kind of thicken, and then it would start to produce these lumps on his face, especially in the folds of the skin, like in his cheeks and his lips and up on his forehead. His eyebrows would have soon disappeared completely as the, the hair turned absolutely white. And then over time, the appearance of his entire face would dramatically shift until his face no longer looked human, but sort of more like a, like a lion, kind of this puffed up, so disfigured, so puffed out, as these lumps on his face and on his body would just continue to grow larger and larger until they would burst open, right? They would ulcerate and just become these open sores, which would then give off a terrible odor. It was said that you could know that a leper was within a hundred yards of you simply on the basis of the smell that these open sores from their bodies emitted. The disease would then probably have begun to attack his eyes, right, his tear ducts, which led to blindness in most lepers. Now, the fact that this man here isn't yet blind puts him way ahead of so many who suffered from this disease. The disease then would start to attack his nervous system, and it would first attack, you know, the extremities of the body, the, the ears and the nose and the hands and the feet and the fingers and the toes, and it would destroy their sense of touch their sense of feeling and their sense of pain in all of these different extremities. So that as this man found himself walking, he'd be walking now on feet that he could no longer even feel. And quite often, you know, to, to smash his foot maybe into a rock or step on a piece of metal or get a, a, some sort of a nail up through his sandal into his feet and he wouldn't even know that anything had happened to him until he would look down at his feet and see the blood that was just running out of them. You know, he could burn his hands and feet and not even know it. His hands and his feet could completely freeze and he wouldn't even know that they were freezing on him. And that's very often why you see, if you see pictures of lepers, which we're not gonna show this morning, but you see pictures of lepers or movies that depict lepers, so often you see their hands and their feet are so heavily wrapped with rags in just some effort to try to protect and to preserve them, right? It also was a tremendous problem as they were living in these very primitive kind of leper colonies, very often in caves, there was a big problem that rats would come in and eat this rotting flesh as they slept and they wouldn't even know that it was happening. And all of these injuries over and over again would become reinfected until from head to toe, this poor individual just became a series of these open oozing sores. While at the very same time, this disease would start to attack his respiratory system. His vocal cords would become ulcerated and his voice no longer would be a normal voice but just a, a, a rasp, right? this hoarse rasp. When he breathed, it would be just this heavy wheeze. 
And ultimately, all of these things would come together, of course, on a day that he didn't know, you know, probably somewhere in the range of 10 or, or 20 painful years later. And all of these things would come together to produce death in him. And the, and the death that leprosy brought was essentially to rot to death from the inside out. As that bacteria just literally ate its way from the inside out. Now, Dr. Luke, in his parallel passage of this account, in Luke 5, he tells us, again, as a medical doctor as well, he says that this man now, as he comes here to Jesus, Dr. Luke tells us that he's full of leprosy. Right? He's full of leprosy from head to toe, from inside out, or he's in the advanced stages of leprosy, probably very quickly now approaching his own death. And I'm afraid we're not done, of course, because the effect that leprosy had on a leper didn't simply end with the, this painful death physically, but it was also absolutely devastating to that leper socially. Right, of course, because leprosy was contagious, it was incurable, lepers were forced to keep their distance from anyone who didn't have leprosy. So this man could no longer go to any of the religious gatherings of his people. He would be no longer welcome at the temple annually, no longer welcome in the synagogue services. If he was to see someone who was approaching him, Right, the Mosaic law demanded, Leviticus 13.45, that he would shout out to them, what? He had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that they could keep their distance from him. And then what happened is that even beyond what the law required, the Israelite culture started to impose these even stronger kinds of social distancing. Right? Some writings say that it was six feet, others 12 feet. Some accounts even go so far to record that you were required to stay 100 feet away. I think that was just here in Santa Clara County. But it, anyway, strict, strict guidance, right? But this man never again would be able to have close contact with anyone who wasn't a leper. He could no longer live in a city. He had to live outside of the city. And of course, worst of all, it meant that he could no longer touch anyone who was not a leper, including his wife, his children, his family, his friends. Once he was diagnosed, he could never touch any one of them again, nor could they touch him. Never a kiss, never a hug, never to feel the touch of them at all, not one more time. Not one more time to have them even hold his hand. So as if this disease wasn't hard enough physically, Socially, it resulted in a life of complete isolation from everything that is healthy, from everything that is normal in a society for the rest of his life. And the only contact he would have ever had would have been with other lepers. And this is not to mention the social stigma that came with leprosy, because the, the people with leprosy were so despised and shunned because it was simply assumed that the only way that a person would be infected by such a horrible, deadly disease was because they were being cursed by God. So for the rest of this man's life, he wouldn't even have been seen as a human being. 
right? They didn't see a human being behind that disfigured face. There was no human being behind those tattered rags, no human being behind that horrible smell. All he is at this point is a leper. And what that disease and what that label was attached to him, that's now all he is. That's all anyone needs to know about him. Nobody wants to know what he feels. Nobody cares about his history. Nobody cares about what his family once was or what kind of work he wants to do. All they needed to know about him now is that he's a leper and only know that so that they could keep their distance from him. It would not have been uncommon at all because of the great fear of leprosy, for people to pick up stones and be ready to throw them at a leper to keep them from approaching too quickly or from getting too close. Now, usually, when a person is afflicted with this kind of a terrible disease, they can at least enjoy the love and the support and the warmth of family. Right? As they go through this kind of a terrible progression, they have at least that human companionship that's surrounding them. But leprosy robbed a poor leper even of that. And so we just think about right, the overwhelming psychological and the emotional and the mental and the social effect that all of this would come together to produce in this man a deep, deep desperation and a very dark hopelessness. Right here you have just this terrible terminal illness. You have this illness now coupled with this isolation and both of those things working together in his heart and in his mind and you can take this immense toll mentally and emotionally and it would produce this desperation in him and just a near hopelessness in his life. And if you think that I'm making this up, Again, look at there in verse 40. It says that this leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him. Luke tells us that he fell on his face and that he begged Jesus. Matthew says that a leper came and worshipped Jesus. He's in such a desperate state. Understand, this man risks violating the entire law of Moses to even get this close to speak to Jesus. And all of this desperation and all of this hopelessness as he falls down there on his knees. Again, imploring him, kneeling down. Have you ever actually seen a person fall down on their knees before another person and beg for something? There's such a deep depth of utter desperation in this man and there is also a deeper question there's also a, a desperate question right so there's this deep and this desperate question in the soul of this man and it's all encapsulated in what he says to Jesus look what he says he says if you are willing you can make me clean Notice that he's so desperate, he doesn't even dare ask for anything. But instead he makes this, what I think is a very powerful statement, right? It's this powerful statement, this mixture of this language of real faith mixed with real doubt. This man had heard of Jesus. This man, when he comes to Jesus, he possesses an absolute confidence in the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus, he knows that Jesus can heal him. There is not a question about the reality of that, but what he lacks 
is the assurance that Jesus wants to heal him. What he lacks is the assurance that Jesus will provide any kind of healing. Right? And the fact that Jesus has both the authority and the power to cleanse him, it's not of any use to him if he doesn't know that Jesus is also willing to cleanse him. Right? Because a God who's all-powerful is of no use to a leper if that power isn't coupled with compassion. If that power is not coupled with this willingness to exercise that power on behalf of this desperate man. So he comes to Jesus, he's not questioning his authority or his power, but he's wondering about his willingness, right? He's not wondering about the greatness of his strong right arm. What he's questioning is the greatness of Jesus' heart. He's questioning the greatness of his compassion. And this is the single question, right? This deep and desperate question that many still have in their minds about God, right? They've had it all through history and they have it right into even this room this morning, I think especially in our culture today where people have some understanding that God is almighty, but what they lack is the confidence of his love for them. What people lack is that confidence in his love for them and his concern for them or in his willingness to have anything to do with them and the mess that their life is right here and now. But Jesus, now in his response to this leper, Right, he lays all of that doubt, he puts it wonderfully, I think, and permanently to rest, both for this man and for every being throughout the rest of human history. Again, that man says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And it says in verse 41 that then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. So Jesus makes it perfectly clear here to this man, yes, he possesses the power, yes, he possesses the authority to cleanse him, but also that he has the heart and he has the willingness to do it, right? This is this wonderful, willing answer that Jesus gives to this man. And I, and I wanna put just for a minute, let's put what happened immediately in the heart of this man, let's put it to the side. Right? No doubt this overwhelming sense of relief and of joy that must have just filled him to overflowing. But again, I want to put that on the back burner for a moment. And I want to think about perhaps what was happening in the heart of Jesus. Now Mark simply tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. And yet I'm convinced that there's far more happening in the heart of Jesus than just to look at the pitiful condition of this man and having that produce in him a sense of compassion. I believe that this entire encounter must have absolutely broken the heart of our Savior. Because what must have broken his heart and I think produced even a greater sense of compassion in him was the question that this man would have a doubt about Jesus' love for him. It was the question that here's this man that would have a doubt about his compassion and would have a doubt about his willingness to help him. 
I believe that is what broke the heart of Jesus here. And it was out of that broken heart that says that Jesus then stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus reaches out and he touches this untouchable man. The first touch, probably from a non-leper, that this man had had in somewhere between 10 and 20 years in his life. And he cleansed this man both of his disease and he cleansed him of his doubt. With those words, I am willing be cleansed. And then Mark tells us in verse 42 that as soon as he had spoken, what's the next word? Mark's favorite, right? Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So in one single instant in time, right? Not progressively, absolutely instantaneously, right? Immediately that diseased man was restored completely to full health. Now, there are some who would be quick to try to accuse Jesus of violating the law of Moses because he touched this leper, which was strictly forbidden to do. But what we need to understand is that the moment that he touched him and the moment that he spoke these words to him, that man ceased to be a leper. In that moment, he ceased to have even the symptoms, the residual effects of his leprosy. He was restored to full health, the fullness of his hands and his feet and even his face restored right back to normal, right? His hair would have changed back to its original cover, color. All of those sores would have been completely healed. He was as good as new. And this is the answer that Jesus gives to that question, am I willing? His answer to the leper here is his very same answer to us as well, is that he is a God who's not only willing or or not only possesses this great power and possesses this authority, but he possesses an equally great heart. And here is the reason that this is so incredibly important. And here's the reason that this is still so significant to each and every one of us in this room this morning. So if I lost you on that whole leprosy thing, it's time to tune back in, okay? Tune back in with me. Because the implication and the application of all of this goes way beyond just this leprosy. Right? It goes way beyond just this physical need because the application reaches into the spiritual realm. Right? It reaches out into this greater affliction, really what is the greatest affliction of mankind, into that area where man is most in need of God's power and of his compassion and of his willingness. There is a far-reaching and an all-encompassing application to this because over and over, when you read the scriptures, what you note is that leprosy is used as a picture of our sin. Leprosy is mentioned upwards of 40 times and is always a graphic illustration of sin's destructive power and the way that sin destroys a life from the inside out, right? It deadens our sensitivity. It infects our entire body. It separates us relationally, right? Like leprosy, Sin is a vile, contaminating, mortifying, unclean thing, right? Which starts out just as a little spot, 
right? But then it grows and it festers until it takes the whole person in condemning them to death, right? It, leprosy is a type of the separation that our sin creates. And we could literally, and you know this is true, right? I could literally go on and on and on this morning with all of the very painful parallels between leprosy and this sin that is within each of our lives. But I won't, right? Among the 61 different defilements that the ancient Jewish laws talked about, leprosy was second only to a dead body and how serious it was because it was incurable. And it's interesting, as you search all the way through the Gospels, when Jesus dealt with people's leprosy, it is never referred to as a healing, but it's always referred to specifically as a cleansing. And it's the only affliction that's referred to that way. Because again, it's a picture of sin and our sin is a condition that requires a cleansing, right? You remember Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he writes by the spirit of God and he's talking to them about all of the terrible sins which many of them had been engaged in. And you remember it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. He says that none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says what? And such were some of you. He says, but you were washed. He says, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. When Paul wrote to Titus, he said that he says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through what? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. John put it this way in Revelation chapter 1. He talks about Jesus as him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he's made us kingdom of priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so here, this question is answered once and for all, right? When we look at Jesus and we say, Lord Jesus, I know you're able, but will you cleanse me of this sin in my life? And he says every single time, I am willing. Be cleansed. And this is something that we can apply to any sin in our lives. It is both far-reaching and it's all-encompassing, and that is the context biblically of this passage. Right? He's dealing with this complete picture of sin here as he deals with this leprosy. So we never need to wonder in coming to God when we say, will you forgive me of this sin? You know, will you and do you have the ability and do you have the desire to cleanse me? We never have to wonder, no matter what the sin is, whatever it is in each of our lives, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or those things that are deeper down under the surface like anger and lust and bitterness and resentment and jealousy, right? No matter what the sin is, no matter how much it's already destroyed, no matter how much it's already eaten away at your life, and just to know that not only does the Lord have the ability, but he always has the willingness to declare and to make us clean. 
And you might be listening in or you might even be here this morning and like leprosy, your sin may have already started to take a physical toll on your life. It probably started out small. It was just a few little sores and you could handle it because you could just put a shirt over it, right? And keep it all clean. But now it slowly started to take control of your life, right? It's now what you are from head to toe and it has driven you into a life of isolation, right? Spiritually and socially. The first thing it did is it drove you away from God. Then it drove you away from your family. Then it drove you away from the rest of the healthy society, in particular of the church. And now it has deformed you and it has become your identity in your life. And like this leper, you've come into this place here this morning, not necessarily doubting that God has the power to cleanse you, but there's a great deal of doubt in your mind about God's willingness to cleanse you because of what that sin has turned you into. And on his behalf, I am very happy to inform you that he is willing to cleanse you of your sin. Right, in 2 Peter chapter three, the Bible declares that God is not willing that any should perish, right, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible declares in John chapter 3 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why the Lord Jesus came. Because not only does he have the authority to cleanse us and to reconcile us back to the Father, but he has the willingness to do that, just as he did here in the life of this one desperate, hopeless man. Right, who has now just been made completely whole and cleansed completely from this leprosy. And then look what John Mark records for us next. Look what Jesus says curiously to this man. It says in verse 43, And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So why did Jesus do this? People often ask, well, Jesus didn't want to become known simply as some kind of a miracle worker. That's why he ordered the man to keep silent about it. But he told the man specifically to go see the priests as the law demanded. Because he is sending a message here to the religious establishment, right? Directly to the priests there in the temple down at Jerusalem. This was a very clear message, a testimony to them, it says, that Messiah was now here. Right? Go down there all the way to Jerusalem and you walk into the temple and you declare, I was a leper and Jesus healed me of my leprosy. This would have been a powerful testimony of that cleansing. And you can bet that those priests would have looked at one another with complete amazement, right? Absolute astonishment. Remember, just like those people did earlier back in the synagogue, because the Mosaic law included an entire chapter, right? All of Leviticus 14, 57 verses long. One chapter is this entire 
detail for them of this very strict ritual which was to be carried out by the priest when a leper had been cleansed of his leprosy. And yet to date, right, for the past 1,500 full years from that time since it was written, they had never ever needed to perform that ritual because no Jew had ever been cleansed from leprosy. So much so that the rabbis had come to regard the cleansing of a leopard, a leopard, right? The cleansing of a leopard. I knew at one point I would say leopard. We're not trying to cleanse leopards, we're trying to cleanse lepers because they're the ones that need cleansing. But the rabbis had come to to declare the cleansing of a leper to be as difficult as the raising of a person from the dead. And they had come to assume, rightly, that no one would ever cleanse a leper until the Messiah had come. And guess what? Messiah had come. And the very first leper had just been cleansed. Do you remember that episode, that event uh, where the disciples came, of disciples of John the Baptist, they came to Jesus, it was Luke chapter 7, it was right after this event that we're looking at here today, John had been put in prison, and he sent these men to seek out Jesus, and it says that when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And it says that Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, right? That the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So this was one of the specific messianic proofs that Jesus presented to these men and to John in this time of his doubt because there could hardly be any doubt that Messiah had come and that that Messiah was Jesus Christ. And right here, this very first cleansing of this leper here in Mark 1 and him now appearing to be examined by those priests in Jerusalem, it would have been a clear declaration to the entire religious establishment that Messiah was here and it was Jesus of Nazareth and that only he could provide this kind of cleansing. Because when we look at Leviticus chapter 14, what we find is that every single step and every single element in this procedure that was prescribed for them, every single thing points so clearly and specifically in shadow and in type to the redemptive work that Jesus Christ alone would provide through his sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary. Right? Every single part of this very strange ceremony is a symbol that points to Jesus. It's like an Old Testament sermon that preaches the cross. Now, without trying to teach that whole chapter this morning, right, you can look at it later in depth for yourself, but it begins with these words. It says, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And then it describes this very strange series of these different rituals that all involved two live birds, an earthen vessel of fresh water, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Now the two birds, quickly, they represent the two, two different aspects of Jesus' unique person, right? The first bird, his humanity, 
right? His incarnation and his death. That one bird you see is put to death in this earthen vessel, just as Jesus took on the earthen vessel of human flesh. That bird is then killed there in that vessel as its blood fills up that bowl. And then this fresh water, or literally living water is the translation, it's added in to it. And then added in now to that blood and water, you're adding in the cedar wood, right? Representing the cross. You're adding in the hyssop, which would then be used to sprinkle the blood seven different times upon that cleansed leper. And then the second bird, which represents the deity of Jesus, it is then also soaked into that same blood. It's bound to the cedar wood using this scarlet cord. It's soaked in the blood and then it's removed from the blood and it's set free now, but forever stained by this blood of the sacrifice, and that bird is now set free to fly up into the heavens, no doubt as that cleansed leper would watch, seeing his own freedom from that dreaded disease. Now sort of free as a bird, if you will, from the effects of that disease. It takes two different birds to picture everything that Jesus Christ would do on our behalf because it's impossible for the good news that's in Jesus Christ, right? For this glorious gospel, it's impossible that one bird could possibly represent, right? That first bird has to represent the death of Jesus, right? Which provides us with this cleansing, but then that second symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because remember, the gospel, right? The good news that's found in Jesus Christ isn't just that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for my sins, but then also that on the third day that he rose from the dead, he demonstrated his power and authority over death and hell. And then just as that leper would watch that bird fly into heaven and his own heart no doubt would soar as a result of watching it, in the very same way our hearts should soar when we consider the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. Because Paul tells us that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, right? It's the resurrection of Jesus that's the evidence that we've been cleansed from our sins. And all of this, right, this very unique ritual in Leviticus chapter 14, it was very clear that all of this was to take place outside of the camp, right? Just as Jesus sacrificed himself for us outside of the city, right? On the cross of Calvary at a place called Golgotha, right? The place of the skull. But wait, there's more, right? Also there in Exodus chapter 14, now on the eighth day after this strange ceremony, there were sacrifices that had to be made. Two male lambs, the first as a trespass offering for the priest, and the second was a sin offering for the, made on behalf of the cleansed leper. And then the blood of that lamb was to be applied to that man behind his right ear, signifying what we hear, and onto his right thumb, a symbol of those things that we do, and on his right big toe, symbolizing the way that we walk. And this pictures the application of God's forgiveness 
to his mind and to his hearing and to his comings and goings and his direction in life. And then at the end of all of this, the priest was directed to take olive oil, right? A picture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Holy Spirit. And that oil was placed directly on top of that blood in those same places. And it symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit of God because you know the Holy Spirit cannot come on our human flesh until the blood of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been applied, right? So the supplying of the oil, even on top of this wonderful forgiveness that the blood provided, but the applying of the oil on top in those same spots speaks of the presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus over our hearing and of our thinking and of our doing which all now are supposed to be governed and directed by him. So all of it, right? Every aspect of this detailed ritual was a picture of what Jesus and Jesus alone would do for us for the cleansing of our leprosy called sin in our lives. And all of that was written down here in Exodus chapter 14, 1500 years before this event that we're studying about this morning. It was preaching the cross that was yet to come, right? This powerful testimony of cleansing pointed powerfully to the cross, right? And this text that we're in today, still at the very first chapter of Mark, right? It's kind of the climax, if you will, of the first chapter of Mark. All of it is a clear declaration that as willing as Jesus was to cleanse this man of his leprosy, he is just as willing to cleanse any man or any woman of their sin, if we are willing, right? Because this powerful testimony of cleansing, it presents us with our own personal opportunity for that cleansing, but only if we're willing as Jesus is willing. Now I mentioned that the priests had never ever performed this ceremony because no Jew had ever been cleansed of their leprosy. In fact, there's only one cleansing from this deadly disease that's recorded in the scriptures, and it's the story of Naaman, right? This Gentile commander of the Syrian army who was cleansed of his leprosy through the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 5. Now again, it's a great story, which I promise we're not gonna go into, except to say this, that Jesus used this exact story as an illustration to the Jews of the problem of their unbelief and their unwillingness to accept him. In Luke chapter four, Jesus tells this crowd in the synagogue up in Nazareth as they rejected him, he says that there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And the point is that the lepers of Israel overlooked the healing that could have been theirs through Elisha, who himself is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. And so God instead healed this Syrian army commander. And in the same way, the Israelites then of Jesus' day, they were about to reject this power that was standing right in front of them, and it would be the Gentiles who would eventually receive the gospel that Israel had rejected. So it is here for us to receive 
if we are willing because God is willing. Right? Messiah had come. Jesus sends this man to the priests as a testimony. And for the very first time, they would have to turn to this passage and perform this ritual. But then they would have to do it again. And then again. And then again and again, right? First one leper here in Mark 1 or Luke 5, Matthew 8, right? Then the 10 lepers in Luke 17. It was cleansing after cleansing after cleansing as this message of the Messiah was being declared powerfully and repeatedly right to these religious leaders down in Jerusalem. Right, so Jesus tells this man, he strictly warns him not to say anything about what Jesus had done because Jesus knew it would draw undue attention as this news of a healer would eclipse what he really came to do, which was to be a preacher. However, it says in verse 45, the man went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now, people are quick to point out the disobedience of the man, but we could hardly fault him, right? Because when Jesus does this kind of a cleansing and a miraculous work in a life, how could this man help but tell everyone, right? Now, so many people are quick to point out the irony that over and over in the gospel accounts, Jesus, we often see him say, don't tell anyone. And what do people do? Just like this leper, they go out and they tell everyone. And yet now, after his death, right, and after his resurrection, we hear Jesus say to us, right, in the Great Commission, what has he said? He says, go into the world and tell everyone. Right? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, go tell everyone. And what do we do? We tell no one. Right? We say nothing to anyone because, of course, we just have it all backwards. Right? The Bible is very clear. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, right? The leprosy is gone. All things have become new. And there are some of you I know who sit here today and you've heard the story of the cleansed leper, probably taught many times before, much better than this, right? And you've heard the application of this glorious picture of the gospel. And yet I also know there are others who may be with us today and only they know just how desperately they have been asking of God and they've been needing to hear from God about his willingness to have anything to do with them. His willingness to have anything to do with you in light of the mess that your life is. I also know that there are some of us who I know are already Christians and we still struggle with this truth. Right? How could God want anything to do with me because I just keep failing him? And so it's to all of those people that I want to speak specifically and authoritatively this morning based on the authority of the scriptures that God is not only able, but he is willing. He is more than willing. He is eager to cleanse you of your sin and you need never doubt that again. 
It is one of my very favorite things that Jesus says in all of the Bible, right here in our text today, back up there at the end of verse 41. Highlight it, underline it, put a star by it, where he says, I am willing, be cleansed. I am willing, I am willing, I am willing. And praise the Lord for his willingness to cleanse lepers and sinners. That's what this powerful passage is all about. It's the willingness of God. And it answers one of the great, great questions that God knows that man has. That question about the willingness of God to be involved in our lives. And God knows that that deep question is there. And so he answers it now once and for all. Right, that, that strong right arm of the Lord, right? If it's not coupled with this compassionate and this willing heart, it does the leper no good, it does the sinner no good, and yet Jesus reveals that God is this combination of both. He has the ability, he has the authority, but he also has the willingness, and he wants to bring both of those things to bear upon our needy human lives. And if you sit here this morning with us, and you have yet to make Christ your savior. This is your personal opportunity to be cleansed. Now maybe your sin hasn't made you all that grotesque yet. Right, you can still sort of manage it. Again, it's just those little white sores on your back and covered up so nicely by your shirt. But please understand where it will lead. Please know where it will lead in time. It will not stop until it brings death. And so whether you're now bearing the consequences of this progression of sin or whether you've been able to handle things with some measure with this sin that's there in your life, please know in your own heart, I still need to be saved. I need the power I need the willingness of God to be applied to my life. And if you're willing to say today, you know, I trust in the gospel of Christ. If you're willing to say this morning to God, I confess my sin to you and I confess that I'm less than perfect and that I have been for my whole life. I believe in your assessment of me. I believe that my sin has separated me from the very thing that I was created for, which was to be in relationship with you. I believe all of that, but I also believe that you love me so much that you sent your son to die on that cross to be the full and satisfying payment for my sins. And I believe that he is the savior and I believe that that salvation is something that pleases you. And I ask you now to come into my life by your Holy Spirit and now to take possession of it. Right now to use my life for your purposes. I wanna turn from my old life. I wanna give you my new life entirely. And when a person says that to God from their heart, maybe not in those exact words, but if you say that is what I wanna say to God, and I don't know how to exactly say it, but that is what my heart wants. And when a person does that, then the greatest miracle in all of human life occurs. A far greater miracle even than the healing of a leper because God Almighty then in the person of the Holy Spirit, he comes immediately into that life and everything now starts to change. 
as now the, the person and the power and the presence of that spirit is now there. It's all there in your life. That's the gospel, right? That's why Jesus came, because he's willing and he is wanting for that to happen in every single life in this room. And that's what the cleansing of this desperate leper promises us. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for the tremendous, Lord, encouragement that it brings us, Lord, in this area that you not only are able, Lord, but that you're willing to become involved in our lives, Lord, that you're not only able, but you're willing to cleanse us from the leprosy of our sin, Lord, that's eating away at us. Father, for some, it's a cleansing for the first time, Lord. For others, it's a, a cleansing for the hundredth time, Lord, as we just seek to continue to have this sin cleansed from us, Lord, so that we can walk with you. Father, if there are those who've never made that decision, Lord, to ask for that initial cleansing, Lord, I pray, even now this moment, that you would be quickening their spirits, Lord, that you would be giving them the words in their hearts to speak to you, Lord, whether they're the words that they heard this morning, Lord, or, Lord, you know what it is that each one needs to say to you. Father, I pray that if there are those who don't have the words, Lord, that even as we worship now, that they would simply come up, Lord, that they would receive prayer, Lord, that they would raise their hands and that we could find them for prayer, Lord, that they could pour out their hearts to you, Lord, and just know once for all, Lord, to have you answer that question that you will come into their life and you'll bring cleansing from their sin. So, Father, be with us now, Lord, as we worship. Lord, may your spirit be here, present and working in this place. Lord, we're so thankful. Lord, and we praise you, Lord, and we do it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Listen, if you are here this morning and you've never made that kind of an initial commitment to Jesus, for some it might be scary, for some this might be the, the thing that you've been waiting your whole life to hear. Wherever you are this morning, we want to be here and, and come alongside you and to help you. So whether that means you want to get up and you want to come forward, Pastor Jeff is here and Heather is over here. Or if you don't want to come forward, I get that. Just put your hands up. Raise your hands and we'll come to you. We want to minister to you and we want to pray with you if that's what you want. We want to answer your questions if that's the point where you are now. But don't leave here today until you've done some business with the Lord because he definitely is willing and he's wanting to do that business with you. Amen. Let's stand together and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord.